Greetings and bonjour from France. I'm Andrew Crusoe, and this show is really on the road at this point. I'm truly honored to have Sabina Griffith, communication officer at ITER, I-T-E-R, formerly the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, on the show today. You'll learn why they don't really call it that anymore. ITER actually means the way in Latin, and we'll get to that in this very special on-site interview that I cannot wait to share with you. We explore the power and potential of ITER, perhaps the largest global scientific collaboration in history, poised to create technology that will allow an abundance of clean, renewable energy. Sabina Griffith brings us up to speed with how interest in fusion got started, why it stalled after the oil crisis of the 1970s, and why ITER is so important. Is fusion energy the key to our green, renewable future? Let's listen and find out. And enjoy. Okay. Welcome back to Ascendant, the story of our journeys from scarcity to abundance. I'm Andrew Crusoe, and today I feel very lucky. I am with uh, Sabina Griffith, a communications officer at ITER, and uh, I just want to say thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day and coming on the show. How do you usually describe your job to people who ask you what you do? Thank you for the introduction, Andrew. Um, we are trying to break down the walls uh, of fusion so that the wider society, public can understand what this is all about. ITER is currently one of the largest international scientific collaboration, uh, but we are well aware that not many people know about us. So, because this is a very specialized field of research, but it will have uh, benefits for all of us, for all mankind. So we are doing nothing more, nothing less than trying to find a new, clean and safe source of energy that can help us out to get rid of all the fossil fuels and all the evil in the long term. Well, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Um, a theoretical physicist, Garrett Lisi, who lives on Maui, told me about this project when I was interviewing him earlier this year. And I was researching it, and I was just thinking, this is amazing, the amount of potential here. I really do believe people who people should look into this like it's iter.org. It's just remarkable the potential for clean energy. This is like an order of magnitude, two orders of magnitude greater than other um, other potential green energy sources. I mean, we those other things are good as well. I think solar will have applications in certain places and, you know, uh, air, wind in other places, but this is so much greater. It's so much potential. It's just remarkable. And this ETEL started, the, the, uh, the original agreement was like, the idea was back in the 1980s, wasn't it? How do you usually try to, sum, I know it's a long story because a lot's happened, but how, is there a, how do you usually try to summarize what you guys are doing here? You know, you, you finally started building on this property in uh, this area in like 2010 or before that? So let me get back to the first part of your question or introduction. Um, so what we do here at ITER is, in principle, um, we are trying to squeeze a little sun into a bottle. Our role model for fusion energy is the sun and the stars. Sun and the stars are powered by fusion. 
what is happening very naturally on, on the sun, for example, is um, that hydrogen atoms fuse. Hydrogen atoms don't want to fuse, you know, because they're all positively charged. We know this from the principal laws of physics. They actually repel each other. But they fuse on the surface of the sun because of the gigantic mass of the sun, the gravitational forces of this superstar up there. Um, and for decades, maybe even for centuries, mankind has looked at the sun and said, well, how can we replicate, re redo this reaction down here on Earth. And there have been very crazy projects around, clever ideas, but um, we have come a long way. I mean, some of them have shown us that we are on the right track. It can be done, but it has never uh, succeeded to, to have a big breakthrough, to really produce net energy for a substantial amount of time with any fusion machine. Here at ITER, all the world's knowledge is now coming together. It's culminating here, and we are building the largest device that has ever been dared. It, uh, it dwarfs all the other projects that have tried so far, because fusion is also a size of matter. You need to have uh, enough reactions inside the vacuum chamber to have a net gain of energy. ITER, and this needs to be stressed, is still an experiment. We are still in the experimental phase, but ITER's goal is to prove that we can produce at least 500 megawatts mm -hmm. of energy, thermal energy, uh, for a st substantial amount of time, which in the ITER uh, language is for almost 50 minutes. So that is a giant leap from what has happened so far. Five zero, Five zero yeah. So this is a giant leap uh, from what has been achieved so far. But um, we are actually very sure that we will get there. Uh -huh. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be doing it. But it's still science and research. You never know what's around the next corner. You know, we are dealing with one problem after the other. We call problems challenges, you know, they challenge us, and we are very clever. We have a lot of brain assembled under the ETA flag. Coming back to your second part, so the whole voyage actually started in 1985, 86, when Gorbachev and Reagan met in Geneva. Until then, mainly the United States, the British scientists and the Russian scientists drove fusion research. They advanced very fast, uh, but none of them really had the financial or the human resources to really take it forward big times. So at the high peak of the Cold War, the two world leaders met in Geneva for the uh, big peace conference, and at the end of all their peace talks, they brought forward the idea of joining forces and to launch a project called ITER. In those days, it was still called the ITER, uh, International Thermonuclear Expander, uh, sorry, slowly, International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. That's where the name comes from. Originally, but people didn't like the word thermonuclear too much because it reminded us of um, bad, bad times. So during the whole process of making ITER, um, realizing ITER, we switched to ITER, to the Latin name of ITER, which 
in the translation of the Latin name means the way. So we are developing a way towards a new source of energy that can really help us to send all the fossil fuels back home, you know, and to replace the oil and the coal and the gas, which has become more urgent just recently, and to to give mankind a new source for what we call the base load power, right? So that is needed. You know, if we want to um, uh, close the the oil pipelines and the gas pipelines and so on and stop all the coal mining, so some clever energy needs to take over that base load. I mean, imagine all these big mega cities, the big clusters, heavy industry. We, I think we all wish that we could survive on solar and wind and biomass. This is very clever and technologies have advanced enormously over the last 10, 20 years. And they will help us to build the bridge right now because fusion does not exist. We don't have the product in the shelf yet, which is a big dilemma. But we are doing our best and work day and night to make it happen. So, um, But we hope to be there at least by the mid of the century, uh, that we can deploy fusion power plants around the world. This is our goal. You know, it's funny that there's so many things that come to my mind. Um, thank you so much, Sabina, for taking some time out of your day. I appreciate it. Um, it this show is, is usually focused on the concept of abundance and what that means to whoever I'm talking to, and I've been really lucky to talk to a lot of creative people and scientists and different people, but this is the most literal expression of abundance that I can think of. If we can figure out fusion power, the abundance of power and the clean abundance of power is the ability to change humanity, like what you're saying. And I was just in, it was it was amazing seeing where, you're, where the team is making these magnets that are, I think they're 25 meter diameter rings, the biggest one, And I was, I, I, they were showing they had this bending machine, and they're actually like taking, they're, they're making it, straightening it, and they're literally just making it right there. And there's only, they're so big, they can't transport them. That's the thing about this, but what I saw today is amazing is there's so many components that are made here, they have to be made here because there's no way to move them. <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention that before I forgot, because it's just amazing what you're able to do. And, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, though, how you got involved. I heard that you've been involved in this project for a while. I heard that you, you were involved back when it was based in Germany. Is that true, or did I mishear? That is true, and I will come back to this question. Okay. I'm leapfrogging, backward, leapfrogging backwards. Do it. <laughs> because you mentioned abundance, right? Oui. This is a very important point that I have to tell you. Fusion energy is very often in the media, in reports, said to be um, that it will uh, give us a tool, you know, to produce unlimited energy. That is bullshit. Sorry to say it frankly, but there is no such thing as unlimited energy. And it takes a lot more to change the fate of mankind and our thinking than developing fusion. What we see happening right now with the climate changing, Andrew, you've been to the south of France. We are currently facing one of the driest and hottest summers since recording started. We didn't have a drop of rain here for seven months. Right? Wow. The rivers, the rivers ran dry. The turbines at the, um, the dams have been turned off because the water level 
sank so drastically. So it is really sad to see this. Could also be that it's due to El Nino. You know, there are more more frequent modulations to our weather and climate, but. I've been here for 15 years in southern France, and this is certainly one of the big episodes here. And we all know that it's happening around us. You read the records about, uh, about Arctica. I've been a polar researcher before. Wow. So Arctica is melting under our hands, you know, and what this means to the global climate, I think we all know. Again, so first thing, while we are working on a large-scale solution here, which could deliberate, deliberate us from using fossil fuels, we also have to change our behavior big times. Mm. Yeah. So during the COVID times, we all saw the CO2 emissions going down because we less frequently used planes, cars, we were stuck at home, you know, it can be done. We are back to normal, sad enough, you know, the lesson has not really been learned. So people are queuing up at the airports again. We are using air conditioning systems where we should, it's not needed really. You know, I mean, all of Africa survives without air conditioning system, at least the people outside, you know, that don't, are not that fortunate to, to work in an office building. And so all these things have to be rethought. Uh, so it all comes together. This is my my big big wish to all the listeners out there. You know, make your own equation. You know, sort of do it within your realm first. We are working on the back end, um, and so yes, you mentioned I've been here um, since the beginning of ITER. Literally, I um, I have a career as a polar researcher, and. I got then married to a Bavarian. I moved to Munich and I became a journalist. I was a journalist for 15 years. And um, by a coincidence, I met people from the fusion community. And they told me what they were doing and that they were all then soon moving to France to join the ITER project. And I said, wait, 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 I beg your pardon, what is fusion? What is ITER? <laughs> I've been working for the major national newspapers with Deutsche Zeitung and on the science board and had never heard about fusion. So I said, well, that's interesting. So maybe I can help you. Uh, I got interested. A few weeks later, I came to France and I met the people here at ITER and I literally stayed here and I'm here, still here. And what has happened here over these years is very interesting, and I want to share this with you. It was very difficult to get ITER out of the ground because it is a world-spanning effort. We do it with a very weird system called in-kind contributions. So our partners, we have seven official partners. They are China, Europe, uh, Japan, Korea, India, the United States of America, and Russia. Do I have seven? Yes. <laughs> and so with all the Europeans in total, 35 nations, and they do not simply transfer money onto our bank account so that we then, then sort of launch the contracts, sign the contracts, and manufacture and buy the components for ITER. No. They all sat around a big birthday cake called ITER, mm -hmm. and they <laughs> chose the various technologies that they already had, that they were good at, or technologies future technologies they wanted to develop for their own benefit. So 
superconductors, for example, superconducting technology for the ETHER's magnets was a key driver, and now we know that um, um, the materials that we use in ETHER's massive magnets is a new material of superconductors that did not exist on an industrial scale before, but because of ITER, we launched a whole new indu industry, superconducting industry. And all the partners wanted to be part of this because superconductors are a key technology for power transmission lines, for medical appliances, MRIs are driven by fusion superconductors nowadays, and so on. We are currently working on a big spin-off campaign talking about technology that was driven by fusion development and that has entered many other disciplines. There is a big book to write about all it this. It almost reminds me of the space race, how we had this goal and so much new technology came out yeah. of going, we got to go to the moon. You know, we, we would have loved, we discussed this many times in the past, we would have loved a space race. Mm -hmm. We would have loved to have a Kennedy saying, I want that man on the moon within 10 years. But that call never came. Uh, so I have to mention that we are, very often we hear this old standing joke that fusion is always 30, 40 years ahead and we can never get there. There's a good reason for this and we accept this joke, we don't laugh about it, but we know um, there is a reason for it. Fusion really got going um, in the 70s. Yeah. All the existing large facilities, tokamaks, they were all built in the 70s when there was a big oil crisis. So I'm... I'm old enough, I remember that crisis, because in Germany, that's where I'm from, people were not allowed to drive cars on Sundays anymore to save oil. So we kids, we had a swell time playing football on the German autobahns. I can tell you that was big fun. Yeah. Wow. But then the, 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 the price per barrel oil dropped again, and so the big governments, European governments, they had invested uh, in fusion development, and uh, they set up institutes and laboratories and uh, and so on, employed the people, but then they lost the interest. Uh -huh. They never really uh, killed the flame, they kept the flame burning, because you never know what happens next, but there was never a massive interest or a massive investment like in the space race. And this is uh, the big problem that fusion faced for, I would say, decades. Uh, so fusion is high technology. If you've just been on site, you know, you were amazed by the sheer size and all the cutting edge technology that is necessary to yeah, build yeah, yeah. such a machine as ITER. And just go to our website, dear listeners, and take a closer look. It's all there. Um, but it needs massive investment. It needs massive effort from engineering from the engineering side from the scientific side and then from the industrial side mm -hmm. to turn this to make this reality we had to learn the hard way and mm -hmm. over the course of the years uh, from the first design of ITER to launching the first contracts uh, the first procurement contracts and then receiving the components here on site there was a big gap People retired, people died, people drove off to other branches. So uh, this is why we chose for ITER, we chose uh, to do it via in-kind contributions, mm. that while we are building ITER and while we will very soon start operating 
uh, Ito, we are setting up a world-spanning fusion industry. We are training people on the job, which will hopefully still be there. The facilities, the know-how, and the brain, and the staffs will still be there when we then take the next step and we build the power plants. Yeah. If we wait until we have the results from ITER and then do it again, the same thing will happen as in the past. The people will not be there anymore. The industry will have given up. Uh, so we want to keep everybody on board mm. with ITER. Mm. So this is the big wall-breaking project. And when you say in kind, it means that they're, 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 they're literally delivering the magnets are coming from Russia. And, yeah, uh, precisely. You saw the, the big sectors of the vacuum vessel in the assembly hall and the magnets. The vacuum vessel, which is the burning chamber of the reaction, is partly built in South Korea, uh, by South Korea, and partly built by Europe in various facilities. And they're all built there. They are then, they go on a ship, the components are being shipped here. They arrive at the industrial port of Marseille, Fossier-Mer, and then they embark on the special ITER road, ITER itinerary. It's a three-night ride to arrive here. And then... There's a special road? There's a special road. Uh -huh. yeah. I mean, the road existed, but it was reinforced, it was widened, and because these are massive, massive convoys coming in. Um, it's so you probably cannot drive on that. It's special permission. Well, these are public roads, so to say, but they are prepared in a very special way. Uh, and when the transports come in, they can only roll at night because they're very wide and very heavy, and they need to be escorted by police and gendarmerie and so on, and all the logistics. So does that road go through Aix-en-Provence, or is that... No, no way. No, okay. Much more direct. It goes through smaller villages. It's a bit like, maybe you're familiar with the Airbus story, you know, so... The big wings for the A380, uh, they arrive at Bordeaux, or used to arrive, they sadly stopped the production, I think. So they used to arrive in Bordeaux at the Atlantic coast, and then they crossed all of France to go to the central um, um, technical uh, headquarters in Toulouse. You know, So these massive wings also had to go through tiny... French villages, and the same is happening here now. So that's wow. a thing to see. Wow. It's all on our website. There are videos of that. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is also one example that we call it the planet eater, huh? because eater is much more than just the f science of fusion physics or the physicists hand out their recipes to the engineers. They then go to the kitchen and prepare the, the food. They then sort of build the machine. There is much more to this. It's uh, the largest international scientific collaboration. Um, the whole Probably. transport, I won't say ever. You never know what's happening in the future. But currently so we have far. 35 nations, you know, and the way this is done, um, the project office, the project controls office, I would say, is currently larger than our scientific department, yeah. Yeah, just to control what is happening in all the laboratories and, all the, and the manufacturing, uh, manufacturing uh, labs and all the, in all the world, because we are talking about nuclear components that have never been built to these ITER specifications, to the ITER sizes, uh, so we need to observe and check and test everything, you know, so there are very, very strict rules to play with ITER. 
So, and we have our own school. We built an ITER international school because we want to attract the young and bright scientists and engineers and lawyers and project officers and procurement officers. And of course, they come here with their families. They come from India, Russia, you name it, you know, and they all need to go to, their children need to go to school. And they're all learning French as well. They learn all the languages and of, so all the languages are spoken there. You know, it's really, this is the big win in the lottery if you get your child in there. They do the international curriculum and this is a Kickstarter to Bright Careers. Wow, wow. That podcast on your site was so informative and you kind of went around and, um, interviewed different departments and I was really surprised and delighted by by the school and how you know if, if someone gets recruited here or works here that you really take care of the people and you really attract people and their families you really think about the human element yeah if you listen to the podcast series um, I think there is no subscription button yet because we are working on the next seasons oh, you know so at the moment there are just these six episodes yeah. But there's also, I think it's in the school episode, there's also an interview with the ladies that run our welcome office. Mm. It's a very crucial part of the whole project because uh, we are, as you also realized, Andrew, we are in a very remote part of France here. Mm -hmm. We are not close to a big city. So nobody around us speaks English. I mean, the <laughs> French are very reluctant. So... Um, <laughs> We need to offer language courses, you know, to young people that come here from Korea, even Germany, Russia. We need to help them to find accommodation, housing, how to buy and register your car. It starts from A, it ends with Z. And there is a whole group just taking care of that to make them feel welcome, comfortable and happy. That has big impact on the success of ITER as such. You know, it's a big puzzle that's much larger than just the pure science and engineering going on in the offices and outside on the on the work side. Uh, there's, there's so much to talk about here, and we are a little pressed for time. I'm just looking out on the, the beautiful hills through this. I'll have to share a picture. Um, maybe I'll just share it to the people who support the show on Patreon. <laughs> it's patreon.com slash hellocrusoe, H-E-L-L-O-C-R-U-S-O-E. It's just a beautiful. Uh, it's just a beautiful complex you have here, and it's in a in a remote piece of land. Uh, why did they choose this spot? Was that I imagine that was a long process to select a site. It's a very good question. The site selection process was indeed a, a long process. There were a few countries bidding um, or offering uh, sites. Uh, like um, Spain, they had a site very close to Barcelona mm. on the sea. Um, there was even a site proposal from Canada at one time, but Canada withdrew uh, from the project. Um, in the end, there were only two competitors, Japan, uh, with a site in northern Japan close to Naka, mm. and France here with a site next to their nuclear center, Kadarash, where they developed nuclear propulsion systems and new nuclear um, reactor technologies. And finally, uh, the French won. And it also has to do with um, the acceptance of society here in France, of nuclear. Um, 
Yes, so I think France is the leading nuclear nation in the world with a percentage of uh, nuclear power plants. 80% of the energy here in France is produced through nuclear power. So, And most of the French don't know that, really. Huh? And the people, we have a big center right next to ITER, which is the CEA, uh, the, the, the French... National Nuclear Center, and there are 5,000 people working there. So, and we are in a very rural area, so the people per se have no big problem with uh, another nuclear research center. If we had done that in Germany, I think it would <laughs> never have been realized. You know, so here we are. It's it's interesting because. I'm surprised. The attitudes between France and Germany around nuclear and around power generation are pretty pretty different, you know. And both obviously, there's brilliant people in both, the brilliant scientists in both countries. Um, I wonder if you could. I, I'm curious about that, and also just w when you. It sounds like you know you had your director, the current director, passed away recently, which is very sad. And I wanted to touch on, I, I during the introduction. Uh, presentation when I got here, which was quite good. Everybody, you should, you should, everybody should try to book a, <laughs> a visit if you make it to France. It's really a remarkable uh, a visit. They give you a presentation. You can look around, and you need to book it a few months in advance, though, because these these slots fill up, you know, pretty quickly a few months in advance. Um, but you know, in the presentation, the person presenting was like, you know, he he really. Um, turn the project around in 2015 and I'm wondering like what your perspective was on that and um, how you how you feel it sounds like some big shoes to fill as we would say in America is he did a lot I do the same again because you mentioned difference between France and uh, Germany yeah. just very quickly sure. um, the history of both countries in regards to nuclear is a bit different we in Germany we have a very big and established green movement and that was all born from the anti-nuclear movement. Uh, so the so anti-nuclear has a long tradition in Germany. After Chernobyl, you know, the Green Party was established and so together with Greenpeace and all um, the Green movement. Uh, so now we have the Greens in the German government right. yeah, and it's actually the joke of history that they are now forced to look into maybe rolling back. We abandoned nuclear, so we are closing all the nuclear power plants in Germany. Germany. Yeah, so only a few are still running, and they are now thinking because of the current war ongoing in Ukraine and the Russians closing their pipelines and not delivering anymore. So we are facing some very severe issues um, in regards to fuel deliveries and so on. So it's interesting to observe what is happening that, you know, I think none of the green politicians in power right now would have ever in its, his worst or her worst nightmare imagined that this was going to happen. Coming back to Dr. Bigot, our um, director general. Yeah, Dr. Bigot was uh, a very unique personality. When he took over the helm of the ITER project in 2015, ITER was very close to being shut down. We had some very, very bad assessments, um, management, bad management, you know, we were famous for producing delays and cost increases, so especially the Americans didn't trust the management anymore. So we only had one more bullet in our gun and that was Bigot. And he took over and he changed the organizational structure, he changed 
decision-making processes and today we can say it was actually really thanks to him that we are where we are at now. The project, the machine assembly is rolling like crazy. I can tell you I'm on site every day with my colleagues, with visitors and media and we have very interesting visitors coming in from the oddest parts of um, society. We had a big fashion designer here. We have artists coming through and, you know, big entrepreneurs, you know, Pulitzer Prize winners. And so there's an increasing interest in the project, which is very, very healthy for us. You know, it gives us big um, yeah, confidence that it's right what we are doing, you know, so. And coming back to Bigot, yeah, again, um, so unfortunately, very sadly, he um, he died in June, and so the process, the process of finding a new director is ongoing, and hopefully we will have a new man, or maybe a girl, mm. at the helm, yeah. end of September. Wow, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. And I'm sure there's no shortage of people applying and who are passionate about making this, yeah, a reality. And I think, I think it is, I don't know if we mentioned this, it is important to stress that, you know, power will not be generated here. This is a model for the future plants. Is there a, and you're attracting the industry, it sounds like you're training, I mean, you're creating, it, it really does remind me of like the race to the moon. You're creating all these structures and all of these. What I was curious is, are you aware of any other scientific projects that are done in this way, that each country actually delivers a deliverable? Are there any, uh, what did you call it? Um, In-kind procurement. In-kind procurement. Are there any other large projects in the world? No. Not in, the, not in science. Not in science. Do you feel like this is a model will be replicated with other large projects? And yeah, I mean, I love Absolutely. Um, we are invited and called out to conferences a lot to talk about the science of ITER, you know, the technology and how it works and the deployment and social studies, you know, how many power plants will it require, blah, blah, blah. But very often we also go out and talk about the international collaboration aspects. What this means to build ITER in this in this fashion, uh, the way we do it, you know, and it has consequences for um, legal issues, you know, um, intellectual property, you know, who owns the rights and all this. And we are really that that we can talk just about that for an hour. Come back in three months, book the next slot, and you come back in three months. Well, if you have the, if you have the I mean, we can do a web one, maybe. We can do a Zencaster. Yeah. Or I would then connect you to somebody who is very specialized in intellectual property yeah. rights. But this is very interesting. You know, who who owns the rights at ITER? Who can use, who can... I mean, ITER will be um, a machine where the whole world is invited to run its experiments. You know, you can sit in... In Los Alamos, you can sit in Moscow, you can sit in New Delhi or, and, you know, book your times and, you know, sort of work on ITER. You know, it's, 
in today's remote world, you know, this is something I would really want to see. We have a big control room. We are just building it. So it, there will be a sort of mission control. Um, and, of course, the machine will be operated from here locally. But the whole wo world is invited. But so then again intellectual property, you know, what happens to the data, who can look at the data, uh, and so this is very interesting. So maybe this is a follow-up interview. Yeah, I would totally be into that. I would love that, Sabina. We got about five minutes um, before uh, before we should run, but this is just, just remarkable what's happening here, and it's even cooled down a little bit, or maybe we're just not in the sun anymore. <laughs> but... Um, uh, well, yeah, and I, I saw the control room. I'm, I'm curious how are the the development side, I should say. How many people are working remotely right now? Do you, you think as a percentage? And also, how many how many people are involved in? There must be so many departments. Like, so yeah, I guess two part question: What percentage and how many people actually are involved in ETER? Well, after co well during the COVID times, you know, uh, most of the people that could work from home uh, did work from home. Uh, then when sort of the um, shutdown loosened a bit. Uh, we were asked to come into the office at least two days per week. And this is sort of uh, the new normal here at ITER. You know, we, it's, a, it's a shared split thing. The people that are required on site, like everybody working on the machine assembly and the construction workers, they are, of course, here every day. Uh, and the rest of the people, I would say, half time at home, half time here. We in communication, as I said before, we have so many visitors. We're here every day, and but it's good so. And this leads me to maybe um, some final words. Eater is the largest elephant in the fusion room right now. It's the largest project in the worldwide fusion community, but we are not alone out here. So there are lots and lots and lots of machines and like laboratory jet. experiments. JET in the UK is currently the largest existing one. There are a lot of new, smaller ones. <coughs> and didn't JET just have a small breakthrough that was very encouraging? Exactly. JET just had um, a big experiment on behalf of ITER last year with an ITER-like wall and the ITER fuels. And the results were better than ever expected, and they showed us that we are on the right track with the way ITER is set up. But what I wanted to say is there is a lot of detailed, uh, there are a lot of detailed experiments ongoing all around the world for ITER. While we are still building ITER, they are taking their machines, like D3D in San Diego, mm. um, they are taking their little machine to its limits to see, because ITER is designed for disruptions, you know, we are trying to squeeze a little sun inside the machine and the sun <laughs> certainly doesn't like it, so it wants to escape. We will have sort of sun flares, we call them disruption. Like 15 million degrees Celsius though, right? The plasma will have 150 million degrees Celsius and the stored energy in the magnets, we have uh, ultra vacuum, so we play with mother nature's forces here, right? So this is why we have to do everything with greatest care. But what we see happening now with ITER coming out of the ground and with more and more interesting news mm -hmm. hitting the media, we see a lot of private fusion enterprises coming up. There are more than, I think, 60 private fusion uh, projects ongoing with a lot of private money 
invested. And that, you know, there is a sort of momentum in the system that hasn't been there before ever, you know. And this is promising. That also calls for big industry development. And that will hopefully then also bring in more and more stakeholders and politicians to really shout out loud and then call for the race, the moon race. Uh, so. Stay tuned and come and visit us. As Andrew said, we are here Monday to Friday, sometimes even on the weekend. Just send us an email to ETA Communications or book a slot. and We are here. Yeah. Come and visit. Goodbye. And the show, this will all be in the show notes at andrewcrusoe.com. I will put a link to etail.org, and you can see where I booked a visit to this place. I booked three months in advance. But, yeah, thank you so much, Sabina. I really appreciate you sharing time with me. Well, when I lived in Hawaii, we always would say, Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> and that's our interview for today. Every now and again, I get the chance to have a very rare conversation. You know, they're all special. They all mean a lot to me. But that one was extra special. That one was months in the making. That one, uh, the backstory of that one could have its own after show, probably. <laughs> using rideshare to get up there because I'm traveling around France and uh, I, I didn't rent a car. But it turns out with, with certain rideshare services, you don't have to. I want to say merci beaucoup and mahalo once again to Sabina Griffith for coming on Ascendant. I really appreciated her insights and her frankness and her time. Uh, the fact that she sat down with me after I was able to tour ITER, after I was able to see this incredible facility. This week's bonus for the loyal and beautiful Patreon supporters is something a little bit different. It's going to be a 4K high-resolution video of one of my favorite moments from the ITER tour. I'm just going to cut in here and interrupt myself because I'm editing this right now. I've decided to include three 4K videos and some other bonuses for this episode. It's going to be really worth your time. This tour was awesome, and I just want to make sure that you <laughs> realize how much you're going to get if you decide to support the show on Patreon. Not only do you get every after show that this podcast has ever produced, but you also get three full-length audiobooks that are about a $60 value. You get volumes one, two, and three of 10,000 Hours in Paradise, which are my nonfiction series about how the big island of Hawaii and travel totally changed my life and perspective. I also meet a volcano goddess, and uh, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild. So you get to hear all of that as part of supporting at just $5 a month. There are other levels as well. Okay, I'm going to get back to the normal outro now. Just go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash hello crusoe, that's the word hello, h-e-l-l-o-c-r-u-s-o-e, just like the spelling of Robinson Crusoe, because I'm probably just a character in someone else's book at this point. <laughs> or, or you can go to my website, andrewcrusoe.com, a-n-d-r-e-w-c-r-u-s-o-e.com, slash podcasts, and you can learn all about how to subscribe, how to support the show, 
and get access to all the episodes and where to subscribe on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. I want to thank everyone who has supported the show in any way, even if you've just left one review, even if you've just subscribed. A lot of people subscribed recently, so I want to say thanks again for showing interest in this show. This show is really a labor of love for me, and it's extra interesting when you're essentially living out of a 46-liter Kestrel pack. They are not a sponsor. They should be. <laughs> um, and now I'm accepting donations via Ko-Fi, that's K-O-F-I, and uh, as well as PayPal, if you want to just give me a little tip. If you've just enjoyed this episode and you don't want to subscribe every month, uh, you can go to andrewcrusoe.com slash donate. I've been on the road for a while now, and every dollar helps. Right now, I've been thinking a lot about Istanbul, Turkey, actually, <laughs> and uh, I'm calling that in. Hopefully, that will happen. Who knows? And Paris certainly is happening quite soon, so be sure to subscribe to this and share the show on Spotify or Apple or Google or any of those places. You can also find me on TikTok, where I am having a little bit too much fun, at sign Hello Crusoe, H-E-L-L-O. C-R-U-S-O-E, also Instagram is the same. And you can always go to andrewcrusoe.com for the show notes mentioned in this episode and get the links to where you too can book a tour at ITER, I-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.